So hello, advertising peeps, and welcome to our seventh episode of The Big Idea, Data Usage and Obtainment. I'm Connor. I'm Fiona. And today we are special. We are joined by a very special guest, Tasha. So she's going to be talking to us about data and about how it's being used. So welcome. Hi. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. So tell us a bit about yourself, like where you're working, what you do. Um, sure. So I'm Tasha Chaplin. I work for a company called Public, which is a social impact um, consulting and marketing agency. So we do a little bit more than just advertising. We're involved with companies um, to create their social impact platforms. So that could be like a sustainability initiative um, or any other kind of community impact stuff. And then we work with them all the way through from that consulting like business phase through to the marketing and communications aspect of that and actually getting it out into the world. So I guess we'll just jump right into the first question, Tay, if you don't mind. Um, For sure. We're just eager to learn about this. Uh, Connor and I are art directors, so we're pretty fresh into re kind of like learning the data. So uh, it's obvious that Facebook and Spotify use our data and they collect it. Um, so we were just curious about your thoughts on data collection and how it could benefit the consumer. Yeah, I really like this question because um, it's obviously, it's really easy to see the negative effects of data collection. Like I think we've all seen the news stories of like data scandals and breaches and like hacking into credit card companies and people's, you know, sensitive info being released because it wasn't being stored properly. And, you know, there's all, all these fears about surveillance and like your phone listening to you or like tracking you wherever you go, which it really, you know, it is doing like if you let it. Um, and so there's a lot of like really justified like hesitation and fear. Um, but there is definitely also a potential for data collection to add value. And I think that that's something that gets overshadowed because, you know, this scary stuff is like, it's scary and like, it's, it's good for headlines and whatnot, but there definitely is potential for, for adding value, um, customized ads and like relevance is obviously the number one thing. Like you can't have personalization without data. Um, a company needs to know something about you in order to create something specifically for you, like simply put. So customized ads or ads that are um, relevant to you are only possible through data collection. Um, it can go beyond advertising as well, like into research and development and the actual creation of products. So um, collecting and analyzing data in the form of feedback. So like um, user comments or user behavior can then help to inform new product decisions. So, you know, a company might be able to make their app work better, or they might be able to add a new feature um, or create something totally new based off of the data they're getting back from their customers in the form of um, behavior, like how they're using a particular app or service or, you know, whatever, um, or direct feedback, like comments, um, or reviews or, or that sort of thing. Um, there's also ways like private sector companies can use data to create public goods. So like, um, Uber, for example, I think like recently within the last couple of years, they partnered with some cities in the U S like, I think Boston was one of the cities where they, um, they're sharing the ride pattern data from their customers 
to help the city improve transportation planning. So because people are like, you know, you're more likely to use Uber um, in a situation where transit is not going to be like an effective way to get to your destination. And so that giving that information to the city can help them say like, okay, everybody's Ubering from here to here. So obviously people are, you know, there's a need for transportation here. So what could we put a bus route here? Could we put like a subway route here? You know, whatever the case um, or road maintenance. Like these are the roads that are really, really heavily used. Like these are roads that we need to make sure we're on top of maintenance for. So that's another example that's maybe indirect. Like there's not a specific end user who's getting that benefit, but it, you, can definitely say it's it's contributing to public good. Yeah, totally agree. I've I've seen a few companies that use things like the Spotify Unwrapped to showcase how little like actual musicians and producers are making from your streams. So that's just to benefit like their purpose in creating change. So I I agree with you on that one. But it's actually it's pretty funny that you talk about how. Um, people are so you know people are so afraid of their data being like misused but i'm pretty sure most of us have probably bought something from a customized ad mm -hmm. because it's so personal to you so with more people taking those new measures to um hide their data and keep it more private how do you think that advertising needs to change or if at all to accompany that i think it it sort of goes back to the previous question and it, it all really ladders up to the idea of centering the customer or the the end the person who's seeing the product or ad at the end um if we are expecting to benefit from someone's data as advertisers or as product designers or um, companies delivering a service, then we have to reciprocate that by benefiting the person whose data we're using, like full stop. It's really that simple. We can't expect for that to be a one-way relationship. Um, we can't expect to just, like we can't, we data data collection and having access to people's data is a privilege, right? Like we need to treat it that way instead of taking for granted that we're we're just always going to have it and like yes you know instagram for instance like it's an app that we enjoy and we're using and it's it's free you know in quote air quotes it's free right we don't pay for it with money but you pay for it with your information um but that's not enough anymore like that exchange is not enough partially because that exchange was not really explicitly communicated we weren't transparent about that with people from the beginning that that's how they were actually paying for things we know that now but that's not enough there needs to be something else there needs to be something in it for people otherwise they're not going to feel comfortable letting us have access to it and you're starting to see that already at the end of the day like as at people in advertising um or even if you're client side, like the question really needs to be, how is what I'm doing adding actual value? How am I repaying people for the privilege of using their information um, and making sure that clients are really asking the same question? Because again, like it does go beyond advertising. Like there's really awesome ways that you can use information about your users or your customers to create stuff for them that they are going to love 
Um, and that's good for your business too. Like it can definitely be a win-win, but it just, we, we just need to be a little bit less selfish about it. Um, and then consent is obviously like a really huge part too. There needs to be transparency about what we're collecting and why. Um, there needs to be like active opt-in and you can only get an active opt-in if there is a stated benefit, right? Like if you ask someone, hey, can I just track everywhere you go? They're gonna say no. <laughs> but if you say like, hey, can I track where you go? Because at the end of the day, we're gonna aggregate all this data and then we're gonna give it to the city of Toronto so that they can actually make your neighborhood better. Then maybe they might say yes, right? So um, transparency, consent and, and centering centering the customer. Yeah, I'm, I kind of have follow up to that question. So with data being collected, I know there was like this huge scandal about that one app that was like the aging app, whatever. And there was a scandal about them using your face to mm -hmm. like take your information. Whatever. They were like trained. I, I think they were using, um, using the facial like data to train, um, facial recognition, recognition software, like to, to train AI. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, maybe this is more of a personal question, but how much information do you think is too much information or do you think there is is a limit to that for data collection um i don't think that there is necessarily such thing as too much i think it really is up to the individual but again it just goes down to consent so i think the problem with that like that specific example i think the challenge was like it was like a russian company i think um and it was very it's sort of like just all cloaked and like a little bit nefarious seeming right like I, who knows what their intentions were like i have no idea i haven't really looked into it but there was like some fear around that because because there was no transparency but then again like if you think about it if there's if there's a potential benefit right like if it was if it was um i can't think of an example of him but like if it was a, a company that was training facial recognition software for a good cause, like, you know, I don't know what that good cause is, but say there was one. And they were explicit about why they wanted this picture of your face, right? You might say yes, but when you don't know what you're agreeing to, and then you find out later that it's being used for something that you didn't agree to, that's what the problem is. So to answer your question, like, I, I don't know if there's necessarily too much information, um, it's really more about allowing the person to choose what is too much information or what is like enough information for them. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. I think it's really interesting about what you said about it being a privilege as well. And because of that, it, it goes hand in hand with what you said about um, people not knowing because when there's mystery and unknown, it's so easy to build a narrative. And I think that's what people have done to kind of create this world where like everybody's out to get your information to just individually know what you're doing instead of um, the perspective of, okay, well, they're doing it for the purpose of being able to target you better and so many other things, but that's just, you know, one example. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, then, absolutely. That um, kind of leads into another question that we had, which was, we've all heard people say like, oh, my phone's listening to me. Like you talk about something and then an ad shows up on your phone. And um, I didn't really know how this worked. I actually just learned recently. So I wanted to hear your kind of like explanation on how this entire process works so we can give people some peace of mind. Yeah. So this is like, it's, it's a fun question because like, 
is your phone listening to you? Like, actually, yeah, kind of, right? Like it is, it's not listening to you literally through audio, you know, that we know, right? Um, it's not like recording everything you say and then there's like a little person on the other end listening to it. Um, but it is sort of listening to you in the sense that like most of what you're doing on your phone is being observed to some degree, not by an individual and not individually, right? So it's like all of this, when, when we talk about like data collection, it's not like we're not collecting one person's data and then your name is attached to that and that's like going directly to a company. It's all aggregated and then like grouped into into buckets, right? So it's not like individual person's data, which I think is an important thing to keep in mind. Like no company knows like specifically Fiona, this is what you're up to on any given day. But like to get back to your question, most of what you're doing on your phone is being observed or tracked to a certain degree, like, you know, things you like, how you engage with apps, how long you use them for, what things you do when you're using those apps, what you search for, um, what you look at on Amazon, you know, all of that stuff is being observed. And when put together, all of those tiny little data points actually paint a pretty clear picture of what you're interested in, in at any given time. Um, we are way more predictable than we'd like to think we are. So it's not just that the, you know, algorithms um, are intelligent, they are, but it's also just that we're not really that complicated. Like <laughs> we are pretty easy to predict. Like people do, there are things that people do when they're researching a product that they want to buy. There's things that people do um, in the lead up to making major purchases. And those things are relatively consistent across like many different types of people. So that's what makes it easy for advertisers to intuit, I guess, like when you're about to make a purchase. So like, for example, um, if you're, say you're like thinking about getting a rescue dog, like a lot of people did this year, you might follow a bunch of dog rescues on Instagram. Um, you might do some Googling about like how to train a dog. Cause you're like, oh, I'm going to get this foster dog. That's like, you know, maybe it's been through some stuff. I'm going to have to do some training. So like how to do dog training. You might do some research about like, you might look on Google maps, like where, where are some like local parks and stuff that you could go to to walk this dog. Um, you might go to Amazon and start looking up like, wait, how much does dog food cost? Like how much am I going to be spending each month? And then all of a sudden you start seeing ads for pet insurance and like dog callers, you know, or you might get an ad for like a dog walker and you're like, oh my God, my phone is listening to me. I was just talking to my friend about adopting a dog. Like, no, your phone isn't listening to you. You have been doing really predictive things that is telling, it is telling the internet that you're going to get a dog, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's not that, it's not a huge stretch. And that's how, that's generally how that stuff works. It's all these little data points put together and they do paint a pretty clear picture of what you're up to. Yeah. And I, I guess like, cause Google actually does like create that profile for you, right? Like they, mm -hmm. you can look it up yourselves and like, it'll show you like your age and like your interests and everything. So it's kind of funny how everyone's like, so surprised when they see these things, but you're the one who's contributing to this. Like this is for your benefit. And with that, like data collection isn't 
like finite. Like I'm not going to have my data with you forever. So can you kind of talk about how you in the agency collect data and the process of like how it goes through its own life cycle and like where it ends? Like, do you always keep that data or does it get thrown out at some point? So in agency, like we don't really collect anything like we sort of make use of data that exists elsewhere so for instance like if we're talking about media targeting um media companies and their vendors are the ones that are really like aggregating and sort of housing that data and we go to them and say like you know we want to target an audience that looks like this and then they you know sort of figure that stuff out um as far as like how long things are stored, I mean, I don't know, like I would assume that, like I'd assume like, especially with like the Google, just Google, for example, your Google profile, it's gonna be always evolving. Like these companies acknowledge you're not the same person now that you were, you know, five years ago. So the fact that they are always collecting new data means that like the old stuff sort of gets less relevant. Um, maybe there are some things that are like patterns that exist over time, but I think like generally speaking, and you can see this in the way that targeted ads work, it's like whatever the most recent version of you is the thing you'll start getting ads for. Um, and it reacts and changes pretty quickly. So I, I imagine the life cycle of it is not that long, but that is not my area of expertise. So this is just a guess. Yeah. Um, that all makes total sense, I guess. Yeah, we wouldn't know how long it takes. But now that we're talking about how quickly the ads change, um, something just kind of popped into my head, like a personal experience that I've had. And it was um, about like a year ago, I was looking for a mini fridge for my bedroom. And I'm like a year later, I haven't looked. I haven't searched for a mini fridge because I got one. I got what I wanted. And I'm still getting like emails from Amazon trying to sell me like mini fridges. So it's been like probably a year and a half because it was beginning of COVID when I was looking for a mini fridge and uh, I'm still getting ads for it. So um, I guess, do you think like it depends on the brand too? Because maybe Amazon, they like do it a little bit longer or is it just like a general data base that carries all this information? That's, yeah, so that's actually really interesting. This is something I was thinking about the other day, and I've seen other people um, just on like LinkedIn and stuff talk about this too. I think that's actually a flaw in the way that we target ads. So there isn't, so like right now, so using, you know, your example of the mini fridge, like you did some Googling, I'm sure to like look up this mini fridge, you know, the internet, right? Like all of the companies that are, you know, buying targeted ads, they have access to this knowledge that you're, you're someone who's Googling mini fridges. That's what enables them to show you a targeted ad for mini fridges. What they don't have is the information that you purchased a mini fridge. And so you're no longer in that research cycle. So like that's, that's sort of the flaw, right? And it, it'll exist across like um, you know, mini fridge is a small example, but like, it'll happen a lot with like cars, right. Or, or buying a house where it's like, you don't buy something like that often. You buy something like that once very infrequently, but they're, they're the types of things that people do targeted ads for. So you might find that like, as you're in the process of like trying to, or you're looking for, to buy a condo or a house or whatever, as you're in that process, you see a lot of ads for like, mortgages and insurance and like all the things that come with that and then you buy the house say 
and you have all that sorted, you're still going to see ads for it for the next like, you know, six months, even though you've already made that purchase and everything is settled because like those companies just don't know that you made that purchase. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't know why that happens. Like it's, I don't know what the solution for that is either. Um, there might be like, you know, in theory, there could be like a way where if we were very transparent about what data we were collecting, there could be a way where you could go into Amazon and, you know, like request to pause that type of ad or say like, I bought something, right? Like if maybe if you could give that data, people would be willing, then you would stop seeing those ads. But I don't know, like it is, it is sort of a funny flaw in the system that like we have all the information, but the one thing is like, we don't know when the purchase actually happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an interesting theory, like idea there of being able to interact with the data that they have on you. That'd be really something. Mm, I think. Yeah, I think like, and those are the sorts of things I, that I think we should be thinking about and exploring more because when people realize that, like, if we make it so that people are actually still in control of the information that they're giving and they're able to very easily interact with that data and um, you know, check in on it and see what is there and maybe correct it if it's wrong or, you know, whatever the case, like people will just be more or less like creeped out by it because it won't be this like hidden thing, like, you know, this like secret storage of like all the stuff that data is collecting about you or that Google's collecting about you. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I, I agree with you. Like even with like the Facebook scandal that came out about oh they're collecting all this data on you it's like everyone knew that Facebook had so much information about you and your life and your friends they were just surprised when it was being used and it's it's funny because like most things are like that like you you don't care that they're doing it until it's something that you didn't think they were going to do right yes, and that goes exactly. back to your whole like yeah and that goes back to your whole like consent thing so for you like if you could take away one thing from this this conversation that you would pass on to to our listeners what would what would that be um it would be and this isn't just about data i think this is about advertising and in general um but you need to center the customer um be really people focused in your approach and be genuine in that um and do whatever you can to ensure that what you're doing is providing value in some way um whether that's through you know entertainment like if you're making something that's Honey that people like, that's a way to deliver value, whether it's, you know, using information that you've been able to gain from people to create a better product or a better user experience, better customer service, you know, better something. Um, make sure that what you're doing is like actually valuable to people and not just noise and that you're treating the ability to collect information and, and do targeted advertising, you know, for example, you're treating that as the privilege that it is and not taking for granted that we'll just always have access to it because we won't always have access to it if we don't use it responsibly. 
yeah, that was really good advice. <laughs> a really good takeaway from this entire episode. Um, I guess with that, I want to say thank you so much, Tasha, for joining us today. Um, where can our users or our listeners rather find you online? Um, I'm not super online. <laughs> I'm a pretty like private person online. You can find me on LinkedIn though. Um, you can look me up there. Just my name is pretty unique. So there was probably only one Tasha Chaplin. Um, yeah, I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. Well, I guess there you have it. So uh, that's the big idea. And on behalf of myself and Connor, thank you for joining in and we'll see you on the next one.